take our Bibles, open them to John chapter 12. We're in verses 20 to 50. John 12, 20 to 50. I got a big chunk of text to cover this morning. So, so stick with me as we move rather quickly through this. Um, these words in 12 or 12, 20 through 50, these are Jesus's last public words of ministry. So like his public you know, work is coming to a close. And so these we could say are, his, are the beginning of his final words. And y'all final words carry more weight. <laughs> and, and, and so we, these words that we're covering today, I, I want us to, in a sense, I want us to feel the weight of them. The next time he opens, the next time he speaks publicly, it will be at his arrest, you know, and it'll be the Passion Week. So here's the last words he has to the crowds. I think we'll feel the weight of them if we kind of get inside the disciples' shoes for a moment, kind of think about where they are as he's saying these words. Larry last week walked us through the passage, which includes the triumphal entry, uh, the responses to worship. But think about the triumphal entry for a moment. Just on, an, on just looking on the outside at the triumphal entry, you see crowds gathered, chanting, cheering, Hosanna, saved now, palm branches laid in front of him, you know, cloaks laid down and Jesus rides in. If you're one of the disciples, could, 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 would you not feel a sense of, yes, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> you know, it's, we're, it's happening, you guys. Because for the previous three and a half years, when the crowds would gather, when there'd be kind of some momentum, right? Hey, we're building some momentum here. Jesus would disperse the crowds. <laughs> He'd send them away, but not this time. The adoration, the, the acclamations over him, he, he rides in on the donkey, Earthly expectations for the disciples, I would trust were off the charts. And Jesus is about to bring them back to spiritual reality. I don't think it's an accident that, that after these, you know, when we end at verse 50 this morning, it's like end of public ministry, y'all, the next five chapters will be Jesus having a personal conversation with his disciples. And I don't think it's an accident that it comes right after this because what he says here turns their lives upside down. And so he takes these next, you know, there's five chapters now of him talking to them in a sense going, okay, let me help you understand what just happened and what I just said and what it means to you. And there's a sense to which I trust and pray that his words, these final public words that you and I hear from him today would turn our life upside down. Because like them, what we find is it's gotta be turned upside down to really begin to experience life as he intends it and as he intends us to live it. Well, it's a long section, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go through each section. I'm gonna give you a word a word, a word, three words. That's what we're gonna end with. And then I'm gonna go right back to the beginning and I'm gonna take that word over that particular section and I'm gonna give you a statement. And the statement explains the section, the implications for your life 
and mine. Let's start with verses 20 to 26. Follow along in your Bibles. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was in Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The coming of these Greeks, it's like an alarm clock goes off in Jesus's mind. It's like, Jesus, there's some Greeks here to see you. And in Jesus's mind, it's like, the hour has come. You know, it's like, why is that? You go back to chapter two, verse four, the first sign, water into wine. Jesus's mother says, you gotta do something. And what does Jesus say? My hour has not yet come. Chapter seven, verse 30, religious leaders try to arrest him. Says no one laid a hand on him. Why? His hour had not yet come. 820s teaching in the temple. Boy, he gets the religious leaders really riled up. They come after him. The text says, but no one arrests him because his hour had not yet come. Now, these two guys bring Greeks and say, hey, these Greeks want to see you. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, whoa, the hour has come. What is it about these Greeks coming that Jesus says, the hour has come? You got to think, we got to think biblically, contextually, big picture biblically around this to get what, 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 why that was a signal to Jesus, it's time. And to do that, we go all the way back to Genesis and we know in Genesis, Genesis 3, uh, at the curses and the fall that God says, there's going to come a day when, it, when the seed of a woman, a male child will be born of a woman. He'll crush the serpent's head and the serpent will crush him on the heel. I.e., it's, it's the first hint of how God's gonna set things right. It's gonna be man born of a woman who will, who will set right all that the devil has set wrong. <clears throat> the story of redemption, you know, unfolds progressive revelation. It comes a little at a time. But I'll jump ahead to Genesis 12 because here we see God choosing a man, Abraham, and saying to this man, Abraham, okay, okay, this child, it's not, it, he doesn't say it this way, but we now know that, boy, that promise from Genesis 3 is gonna come through this man named Abraham, who's not even a Jew, Jews don't exist. But God says, I'm gonna take you, Abraham, I'm gonna give you a land, I'm gonna give you a people, and through you, the whole world's gonna be blessed. This is called the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. And y'all, the story of redemption is the, is the playing out now of this Abrahamic covenant, because <clears throat> the one who was promised in Genesis 3 is gonna come out of Abraham, out of Israel. And so this is, I just say that to say, now, when you understand that and you can kind of, you look at this passage, you look at verse 19, <clears throat> where the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, hey, I mean, look, the world has gone after him. Next verse, some Greeks are coming to Jesus. 
There have been no Greeks coming to Jesus up to this point in John's gospel. These are the first non-Jews that come to Jesus. And for Jesus, the world is coming to him because through the Abrahamic covenant, God has promised to bless the world. And Jesus knows it's time for me to do that which will bless the world. And as we'll see in a moment, it has to do with his death. Does that make sense? So here, Jesus knows it's time. And now the, the public ministry closes and we'll move into the week of his passion uh, here just in a few weeks. What is it that, <clears throat> what's the word over this section? Well, the word I'm gonna give you, it, it's within the text. I want you to know what comes out of his mouth. He says, the hour's here for the son of man to be glorified. And then what he says next, he talks about a grain of wheat that dies. And unless it dies... He talks about a man who loses his life. <laughs> Look at verse 33, just jump ahead. He, he says, I'm gonna need to be lifted up and, and 33 comments on it. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So what is this hour about? It's about his death. The hour of my death has come. The word over these verses is death. <laughs> so there's the word. Death, that's the first section. Go to 27 to 36. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. <clears throat> Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, speaking of Satan. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I mean, what does he mean lifted up? Verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? They're going, Messiah's not gonna die. What are you talking about? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, again, I'm just, I'm just hitting the high points on this and we're gonna come back around, but we know the hour, he says, the hour has come, that's the hour of my death. Step back from that and go, well, why, Jesus? What's the purpose of your death? What's the purpose behind this hour of your death? And we see it in verse 28, 27, 28. He says, my soul is troubled, which with the humanity of Christ, of course, it's disturbed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That is the name being your character, who you are, all that you are. Then a voice came from heaven. <clears throat> I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
I have glorified it, God the Father saying, through the words and works of Jesus that have happened up to this point, God has been revealed, glorified. I'll talk about that in a moment. And then he says, and I will glorify it again, i.e., we know the hour has come. It's the hour of his death. God the Father says, in this death, I will be glorified. And so the word over this section is glory. So you've got death, then you have glory, and then you have a third word. I'm gonna get that in verses 37 to 50. Back into 36 says, when Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in, believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the armor of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said, he, God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. We've seen this before. (laughs) For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus's last public words. And Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the father has told me. I'm not gonna gonna dive way into the Isaiah passage other than to say we've been studying this in, in terms of God's sovereignty and you know, uh, man's responsibility to believe, the hardening of, of their hearts, a reminder that unbelief is our default. You know, we come out of the womb with a, with, with a fallen heart and, and all of humanity's natural default position to what God reveals of himself is unbelief. And the only way that a fallen person ever sees the light of day, the light of Jesus, is God at work in his great mercy to open their eyes to believe and to see. We've talked about this a number of times. It's a reminder here that it's grace that opens people's eyes. It's it's God's just unmerited kindness. I don't think we're surprised that his last words of public ministry are just a revisit of themes he's been talking about. Believe in me. Believe that in me and you won't remain in darkness. Darkness, light. 
hear my words and keep my words. What I'm saying is what God the Father is telling me. You guys know this over and over and he'll continue to do it. Jesus is saying, and he said in here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Listen, what I'm saying to you, you wanna know God? What I'm saying to you, this is God. See, because especially religious leaders, they thought they knew God. And Jesus is saying, if you know God, you would know me because the Father has sent me. Over and over, he gives us these words. Jesus says, the one who rejects them will have a judge. He means that there is coming a day when all will give an account to God. And see, and on that day, when, when all will give an account to God, it will be, you know, what have you done with, with, with Jesus's words and works? So like what Jesus, all that Jesus in this, in this uh, you know, our story in John's gospel, all that he said, all that he taught, all that he did, on the day of judgment, the, all of us will answer the question, what did we do with that? We know that all that he did was to point to him and put belief in him. And so does that make sense? So, he, so what he's done, his words, we'll, we'll judge that person. Always wanna remind us that, you know, when we stand before the Father, it will not, you know, we can't, we won't have a grounds to say, well, you know, I never could figure out how you created the world in seven literal days. I just couldn't go there. Yeah, we won't give an account of that. We won't give an account of, I could never put together how you're sovereign and yet I'm supposed to believe. That's not gonna be an issue. Um, it won't be that, you know, I couldn't understand how there's you are good and there's evil in the world. These are real questions, but what we're gonna give an account for on that day is, okay, okay, what did you do with Jesus as presented in these gospels and true really, quite frankly, in the historic record of the world, this man, Jesus, and what he did. Six times in these final words, he calls for believers. He calls for listeners to believe in him. Says some did, but it was surely a shallow belief, you know, because they didn't want to profess it out loud unless case he get kicked out of the synagogue. And so the word I want to put over this last section is the word belief. So we've got three words, death, glory, and belief. Now I wanna go back and I'm gonna give you a statement with each word. And, and this statement in a sense holds what that, what that text means and what it means to us and why it matters. I'm gonna have these up on the screen so you'll have them there as I walk through it. Here's the first one, we'll take the word death and I'll offer this statement for 20 through 26. Only in death is life. Only in death is life. You talk about a paradox. You talk about going against everything that the world, you know, and offers us and, and tells us is the meaning of life. No one's gonna say, you know, the way you get to life is death. <laughs> That's why it's foolishness to those who, 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 whose eyes have not been opened, who, who don't understand and trust that the gospel is true. This is like life's ultimate paradox. And then he gives an agrarian example. And, and you know, it's an agrarian people. So y'all, when Jesus starts talking about seed and trees and stuff, this is like right up their alley. I mean, they get it. We don't always get it, but I think we get this one, right? We're not farmers, but we know what we're talking. We know what he's talking about. <laughs> I've always thought of this particular section as 
uh, the prequel to VeggieTales. Oh, yeah. So, so, you know, before they were vegetables, what were they? Seeds. So I always in my head go, the prequel is going to be this seed story. And, and so you got seeds, you know, that are got personalities and whatnot. And so you got a seed that if it had a mind and it's planted in the ground, what's it going to be thinking? This is terrible. It's wet, it's dark, right? What are they, if they had emotions, what would, what would they be feeling? Scared? Angry? Why am I here? If, if they had desires, right? I'm speaking to the heart. If they had desires, I, I suggest they would desire to be out of the ground on the shelf in a dry place. And if they had a choice, I trust they would choose their old life. You know what I'm saying? It's silly, but it's, it's this picture because we put ourselves there. But, but when the seed is buried, when the seed dies, in that dark place and in that moisture, the outer shell just begins to dissolve. And what's really in that seed begins, quite frankly, to transform. And, you know, when, when you see these, you know, uh, fast action, whatever, slow motion, then they play it fast, it's like the these roots start going down, the sprout starts going up, and this is like all this blossoming, you know, that's what happens. It's like, oh my gosh, through death, seed has become something it wasn't. It's a, it's a whole new thing. This is what Jesus wants us to understand about our lives, that it's in death Who we were is no more. We're something totally different and new. And note this, and <clears throat> I think it's at the heart of his illustration, <clears throat> is that seed less than it was because it died? Or is it more than it was because it died? I mean, I'm really, what is it? It's yeah, you know, it's so obvious to us, and yet we 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 resist the death, and yet it's way more than it was when it was a single seed. <clears throat> Only by death comes life. To hate your life's a relative term. You know, he's not. I want to be careful, and Jesus is not saying hate life. Hate the gift of life. Don't even like it, despite it. He's not, that's not it. It's a relative term. Such that, such that you would love something so much that it would make what you, what you don't love that much, it would make it look like you hate it. Is everybody with me on this? So let's keep that in bounds. <clears throat> Jesus is saying that the person who does not understand this ultimate paradox in life is the person who gives priority to their own life, their own will, their own dreams. They're, you know, we're all bent towards selfishness, so we give priority to our selfishness. It's, if you don't understand this paradox, you'll live for your selfishness. You believe that getting what you want is how you get life. And getting more of what you want is the better life. And getting the most of what you want, right? 
is the great life, right? That's, that's what the world tells us. I've tried to say this a number of ways. I don't know that I've got it quite right, but Jesus' invitation is, is this. The world, offers, the world offers us a bucket list. Get your bucket list and you'll live. And Jesus says, take up your cross and you'll live. See, these are woo, diametrically opposed. And I've tried, this is the part I've tried to say is there's one sense in which physical dying, again, these words, bear with me. Physical dying is easier than living this way. Because in death, physical death, you die, you have no choice. But do you understand what, 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 what Jesus is inviting us to here? He's inviting us to keep living but dying to yourself as a path to life. How many times do you have to die to yourself every day? A lot, a lot, and it never ends. <laughs> that's, the, that's why I say, I mean, that's hard, I mean, to die to myself. <clears throat> Notice how it's connected to glory this is the second statement. Only in the cross is glory. Only in death is life. Only in the cross is glory. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And when he says, glorify your name, and he says, this is the purpose for which I've come to glorify your name. To glorify God is to reveal who he is, to make known who he is, and to make known who he is and all he is to the utmost extent that it can be made known. And Jesus says, that's why I came. And, and, and in order to do that and show that, I'm going to a cross. But the purpose behind the cross is glory. See that? Like the hour is, his, is, is death, but the, the glory is the cross itself. This is Jesus's reason for being. And if Jesus has as his reason for life, the glory of the father, and he looks at you and I and says, follow me, then what does our purpose in life become? Our ultimate purpose in life, what is it? Say it. To glorify the Father. It's the same as Jesus. And Jesus says, and the way that the Father's gonna be glorified is a cross. <laughs> and it's no different for you and I. Glory is the Greek word doxa. It carries the sense of honor and splendor. It comes from the Old Testament Hebrew kabod, kabod. And it, this is, I just find this interesting. You know, kabod means it literally meant early on in, in the Bible, it meant weight. How much does all that you have weigh? My gosh, you have a lot of glory. Literal poundage. So in that sense, you say that the, the root of kabod is what has more glory? This guitar, you know, that I can pick up with one hand or the piano? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's immovable. That's why you stand in front of a mountain and it's like glory. It came to mean, we understand it here in this context and the, and the Bible began to use it this way, is it, it, it came to mean uh, weight 
in terms of significance, like weighty, like man, that really matters. Think of the word significant. Oh my gosh, so significant. And when you, when you understand that, you understand that every human being is made for glory. So you might, you go, wait, no, that God's, God's about, no, God, you see, invites all of us. We're made in his image and we're wired for glory. Lord, what do you mean glory? I'm, I, I don't wanna be famous. I'm not, it's not mean, doesn't mean famous. It means you matter. You are so significant. It's weighty, your life. It's, it's actually the weight of God is upon you. <laughs> Now, of course, what's the problem? We all pursue that weight the wrong ways, choosing the wrong things, right? And in that way, what's so crazy, talk about a paradox, is when we live for our own glory, we're actually diminishing our true glory. We're not coming close to the glory God has for us. Think about someone who lives for their glory, and you know them, you see them, maybe personally or you know, in the media, but someone that lives for their glory and you know it. You know, when, I think when a reasonable person sees that person, I think a reasonable person goes, there's just nothing there. Everyone else is cheering, but you know, really there's nothing there in that person because they live for their glory. But when we like Jesus live for God's glory, we actually find our own. Isn't that amazing? Live for his, we find our own because it's ultimately his in us and through us. I will say choosing the cross, obviously, as I said it earlier, that's a hard choice. What does it mean to die to yourself? Well, it, it means so much, but can I get, I'll just get, try and get super practical. Is it, can you lose an argument? Can you admit you're wrong? Can you ask forgiveness? Can you, dying to yourself is a life of repentance. Because we know in our fallenness, we choose wrong all the time, but you know what? I'm gonna die to that and I'm gonna turn and go, I was wrong and I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna turn back to God. It's just a continual life of humility. It's actually lifting other people up at a cost to yourself. You know, how, you know what dying to self for me oftentimes is? Not saying anything. When I really wanna say something so people see that I had that good idea, that I'm right that what you're saying is not quite right, but I'll tell you what, you know what I mean? That's one of, the, one of the things I struggle with. Well, how in the world do we follow those footsteps? There's death and, and, and death is tied to glory. How do we, how do we, how do we die to, to ourselves in that way? And this, here's the word, what's the word? Belief. <laughs> here's the last one, the last statement. Only in belief do we see. Y'all, only in belief do we see. I could say it this way, only when we believe do we experience the fruitfulness, the significance of the life that we were made for. I'll only say a few words on this because we cover it so often. John uses the word believe a hundred times, over a hundred times. It's only used 200 times in the whole New Testament. So John's got half of those. And we know from the text itself, and we know other texts that we've walked through, that biblical belief is never just mental assent. It's not just, I believe. It's not just saying, I, I, here's what I know. That biblical belief is always connected to biblical obedience. 
James will, James will say it, faith without works is dead. It's got faith, it's gotta be connected, same, you know, two sides of the same coin. And for you and I to, to, to die to self, to experience life, quite frankly, experience life, not just say I know it, it's to act upon our belief. John's gonna write three letters to the New Testament church. Listen to this one, 1 John. This is out of 1 John 2, 3 to 6. He says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandment. No, obey. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey, no, obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how they completely love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Only when we believe, and it's in belief God, you're telling me in this moment when I wanna say something or I wanna do something that elevates myself, that puts someone else down, that that gives me my selfish agenda versus, Lord, what you wanna do. In this moment, I must believe, I must trust that what you say is true, that the cross, that dying to myself is where I'm really gonna find life, not getting my way. Close your notes, put your Bibles to the side and sit for a moment. I'm gonna leave these three phrases up and I'm gonna ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What comes to your mind? Only in death is life. Lord, what are you inviting me to die to? Only in the cross is glory. You've made me to matter, but I feel like if I do this, then people will see that I matter. That was the problem here, says those who believed. They didn't profess it because they wanted the glory of men rather than talk about me. That's sure me. So only in glory, only in the cross is glory. Only in belief do we really see. Do I see and truly experience? What's God inviting you to trust him for right now? Maybe there's a relationship, a problem, a challenge, something you're facing and you're going, okay, what do I need to do here? Whoa. The answer is glorify God. Ooh, okay. Okay, then what do I do? Well, to glorify God, you need to die to your agenda. So whatever it is that God brings to your mind, and he will, he'll bring something to your mind. Sit with that for a moment and see what he would invite you to trust him for. because we don't want to walk away from these words, your last public words, with simply knowing what you said. But we want to walk away believing them. And we know that if that's true, then there's going to be an action we do. There's going to be something we choose and do. 
by your spirit. Enable us to believe. And in believing, obey. In believing and obeying, to actually see. <laughs> that is, see you. And experience the life you promise. Let's stand together. We've got a song we want to sing. I want to say to you, this is a song Carl taught at Brentwood when he did the worship series. We've not done it here, so it's a new song. It's not hard, and you'll get it. You'll get it rather quickly. One of the reasons we've got it is, I'm telling you, dying to yourself, living your life, dying to yourself. This, this is this. It's impossible. Let me, let me just tell you, you can't. God invites us to that. Why? How? We've got to remember that Jesus faced death for us on our behalf. He's already overcome it. And so, and this is the words of the song. And so the battle to the battle to die to myself, to live for the Father's glory has already been won. <laughs> That's the point. It's already been won. It's ours. How? In Christ. Christ in us. We can choose that way. And that's what we want to remind ourselves as we sing these words. That the battle's been won by Christ. We know how the story ends. That means in the midst of our story, there's no part of our story we really need to fear. We can die to ourselves. So doing Jesus, right? Jesus, his work, the cross itself is magnified. <laughs>